The most common definition of the term abortion states that an abortion occurs when a pregnancy is ended early without the natural birth of a child and before the child is ready to survive outside of the mother's womb. But there's another definition for the term abortion, calling it an object or undertaking regarded as unpleasant or badly made or carried out. Sadly, for some parents, even after choosing to give birth to their child, raising that child can too often be regarded as an unpleasant undertaking that's badly carried out. Could this application of the term abortion be aptly applied to successful full-term births that result in lives that are forced to endure extreme neglect, abuse, or other misery? However one defines abortion, when it involves a human life, there's no doubt that a miscarriage of justice has taken place. So today, we'll take a look at parenting from a different kind of pro-life perspective. That's next on License to Parent. Well, if this is your first time joining us, welcome to License to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program for teens in crisis and, by extension, their families. And if this isn't your first time listening, well, welcome back. Our host, as always, is the founder and director of Shepherd's Hill, Trace Embry. I'm Rich Rosal, and today we're going to be talking with Marvin Olasky, editor-in-chief of World Magazine and an author of a new book that takes a look at what's gone right, what's gone wrong, and what's to come for the pro-life movement. More on Mr. Olasky and his book in just a moment. But, uh, Trace, when we think of the term pro-life, we're often thinking of the movement that agrees that an unborn child should have the right to grow to full term and the right to be born into the world from the mother who conceived the child. But I think you'd say that even for some parents who might consider themselves pro-life, they can sometimes be not as proactive in bringing a pro-quality of life to the kids that they've given birth to, regardless of how or why. So... In what ways are you seeing what we're calling a miscarriage of justice, as I mentioned a moment ago? How is that being played out in America today? Yeah, well, well first things first, uh, I, I never want to be or even come across as being legalistic, judgmental, insensitive, condemning, or hateful. But I, I really do have all the compassion and sympathy in the world for parents today. Uh, because in so many ways, it's never been tougher to be a parent. And, uh, you know, I, I know that so many parents have found themselves in situations today by no fault of their own in which they're between a rock and a hard place. Um, by the same token, however, uh, some are simply recipients of their, their own bad decisions. Uh, but as God-fearing parents, we need to grow some backbone, Rich, and start calling a spade a spade with respect to what's going on in the world and what's happening to our kids uh, you know, I make my living following the principles of God and his word to help bring hope and healing to hurting kids and their families. They wouldn't be coming from all over the world to get help if these godly strategies and principles, which we promote on this broadcast, mm. weren't proven to work. They're simply learning to conform to the ways of God and not to the patterns of this world. Yet too many Christian households actually have conformed to the patterns of this world. Uh, and by the term world, of course, I mean the depraved standards of so much of today's pop culture. And of course, this has bled over into how we raise our kids. Yeah. Uh, and now we're paying the piper for it. Rich, we can't live like hell and expect heaven as a reward. And we definitely don't want to allow our culture to turn our kids into living abortions. No, absolutely not. Well, let me uh, fully introduce today's guest and bring him into our conversation here. As I mentioned at the start, Marvin Olasky is editor-in-chief of World News Group. 
He's also dean of the World Journalism Institute. Now, he joined World back in 1992 and has also been a university professor and provost. Uh, he's written more than 20 books, including Reforming Journalism and The Tragedy of American Compassion. Now, as part of World News Group, he just concluded the third season of a podcast called The Olasky Interview, which features Marvin in conversations with newsmakers and thought leaders from around the world. We've invited him to join us today, though, to discuss his newest book, Abortion at the Crossroads. Uh, incidentally, uh, Trace Marvin and his wife Susan reside in Austin, Texas, and they themselves have four grown children. Marvin, so glad to have you with us today on Licensed to Parent. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks, Rich, and thanks for all the good work you do with effective compassion and so much else. Well, it's my pleasure, and in full disclosure, in addition to my work here on Licensed to Parent, yes, I do produce a few programs for World News Group. Trace? Uh, Mara, I, I never want to refer to any living human being as an abortion. I, I only use the term to make a point. Uh, I just see too many young people today living lives that are more congruent with death than life, um, more congruent with hell than heaven, more congruent with virtual reality than actual reality. America's teen suicide and self-harm statistics you know, give evidence to all that. But I'm also seeing a lot of parents who seem to think that everything their kids are exposed to and engaged in today is all just kind of part of growing up. What does Marvin Alasky say about that? Uh, and, and what does Marvin Alasky say about what people are calling today's American youth crisis? Well, it's, it's, it's good, first of all, that, that uh, these kids get a chance to be alive. Uh, that's, the, that's the first hurdle uh, in American culture right now. and. Right. The, uh, the death toll is, is still high, uh, gotten better over the past 25 years when it peaked at 1.6 million babies killed each year. We're down to maybe 900,000. That's still uh, a huge number. So that's the, that's the primary question. Are they going to get a chance to live at all? Uh, and, and that's something that, that easily slips aside. We pay attention to other things, and I think it's the, it's the primary thing we, we, need to, we need to work on. And and pray that the Supreme Court and others will finally uh, change this this horrible ruling Roe v. Wade they've been living under for over 50 years, for almost 50 years. That's number one. But then I think you're absolutely right. The question then, what happens? How do we how do we be consistently pro-life after kids are born? Uh, and a large a large part of that is kids need both a father and a mother growing up. Uh, that's that's not only biblically clear but statistically apparent. Uh, and a lot of kids grow up without that. Uh, so the problem we have now with uh, with divorce, the problem we have with um, a lot of kids born out of wedlock. I mean, that's a that's a secondary but but huge problem. And then right. you get to the question of yeah, what when when the basic structure is in place uh, and there is a mom and a dad, how do they actually guard against the problems of the culture? How do they how do they teach kids to access the internet for, for useful stuff. It's a marvelous creation in some ways, but there's a lot of horrible stuff out there. So how do you put guards on it? How do you actually use it for good rather than evil, as, as, as is our tendency these days? Yeah, and how would you suggest a parent handle that? Well, I, th I think, I think you, you begin with the awareness that our children are, are born not naturally wonderful, we all have sin with us or within us ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden, and so we have to guard against it. Mm -hmm. a, a, a smartphone is, is, can be a very destructive thing unless you have smart parents. So put some checks on it. Uh, there are a lot of uh, programs you can get. 
uh, whether it's smartphones or computers or television, to weed out the worst stuff, you have to do it. And if, if kids complain, well, part of being a parent sometimes is listening to kids complain and saying, well, uh, you, when, when you grow up, you may be able to do things differently, but as long as you're in my household, here's how we have to do it. So I think that's the basic thing. Uh, um, not, not, the, not, not go with a with the theology that kids are naturally wonderful uh, because, hey, we're not. We are all prone to sin, and we need to have safeguards against that, which parents, the job of parents is to try to impose those safeguards. Yeah, well, one of the things I hear parent, uh, parents say all the time, I, you know, I, I, I want to think the best of my child. I think the, the, the mistake that they make is they, they should be thinking the truth about their child, and the truth is just what you just said. But, uh, you know, I, I work with troubled kids, uh, so it'd be easy to, to accuse me of seeing things through a, a warped lens, but I'm hearing the same thing from everyone I talk to. Uh, you know, other than pushing buttons, kids don't seem to know how to do much of anything anymore. They don't know how to uh, properly sweep a floor, swing a hammer, saw a board, read a tape measure, nor do they care to learn. How can kids feel good about themselves when so little is required of them today? Yeah, there's, um, I don't know whether it's because some parents don't spend time with their children with their children and substitute things for time. Whether some parents feel, well, I'm not doing enough, and so I um, I feel a little bit guilty about it, and so I will I will make the child temporarily happy by giving him something that can be destructive. But then I I feel better. I feel I'm being a good parent because I'm giving stuff. That's all so mistaken. Um, so I think it's really a, a frame of a frame of mind that we that we need to uh, to get into. Um, there's a wonderful book for kids uh, called The Magic Fountain. It's, it was published originally in 1936 and uh, has great drawings. Um, and let me just, let me just, I, I, re- I recommend this to, uh, to parents because it starts out, let me just read this. Um, there once lived an old, old man who had nearly everything he wanted. His name was Ponce de Leon. He had gold and jewels, soldiers and sailors, a palace and servants and beautiful clothes. Yet he was most unhappy. Now, you know the story. Why was he most unhappy? Because he never found the fountain of youth that would make him young again. Mm. Uh, and so the whole book is, again, with wonderful drawings. Uh, he's, just, he's looking for it in Florida and other places. And then at the end, we see a sign. Uh, it's a delightful picture of old folks running full tilt past a sign announcing, this way to the magic fountain. The authors say Ponce de Leon must have been a very foolish man. And why? Let me just read this. Uh, I wrote a column about it recently, so it's still in my mind, a column in the world. Because if there were ever such a fountain, everyone would hurry to bathe in it and drink its sparkling water. Your grandfather and your grandmother would all be just as young as you are. No one in the whole world would ever grow old, and the earth would be filled with little children. And then there's a great closing sentence under a picture of a bank that's closed, an out-of-business toy store. Who then would make our money or mend our clothes, cook our meals or read our stories, and who would buy us any toys? So anyway, a wonderful children's book, The Magic Fountain, and basically ever since Charlie Reich and the Greening of America, we have all these older folks who have been searching for the magic fountain, running, running after the kids. Well, I think that's an outworking of not putting God in the equation and not figuring eternity in the equation. Uh, they're, they're trying to get all the, they're trying to pack it all in in this life, and uh, that just doesn't work. Uh, and so consequently. Uh, we've entertained ourselves into imbecility, and so you see 40-year-olds still playing video games and watching porn in their parents' basement. 
Uh, and, and this is what we're creating here. Uh, but the fact is we bought into a false premise that God doesn't exist. God actually does exist. And uh, that's going to change the whole, uh, the whole landscape in, in, in people's thinking, uh, depending on what premise they buy into. It, it's kind of one of these things where each generation keeps telling the older generation, you need to rethink this. But I guess what we're saying on this program right now is we as parents need to re-rethink this. Yeah. And in fact, uh, our guest today on Licensed to Parent is Marvin Alasky. Uh, as you've heard several references to World, Marvin is editor-in-chief of World News Group. Uh, he's also dean of the World Journalism Institute, and he's the author of a book that we're discussing in part today called Abortion at the Crossroads. And uh, Marvin, in that book, you define three paths forward in the struggle to protect the unborn. And I guess that's part of the foundation that we need to lay for parents. You know, not only are we trying to protect the unborn, but we're trying to protect the youth that we are raising into the future adults. And when we come back from this break, I want us to dig into uh, these three paths that you discuss a little bit more. You're listening to Licensed to Parent. You'll find us online at licensedtoparent.org. And we'll continue our conversation with Marvin Alasky in just a moment. Shepherds Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program for teens in crisis, is celebrating 20 years of ministry. There have been many distractions in our work through the years as a result of a four-lane highway that divided our land. As a result, plans are underway to develop a whole new campus designed to improve our students' therapeutic experience away from the highway noise, along with up-to-date infrastructure and staff offices, all to help smooth out the day-to-day operations. The five-year, two-phase plan will begin with a new dining hall to be completed by the end of the year, followed by two new school buildings, also containing a new studio for licensed to parent. Please consider partnering with us, building together a new and improved Shepherds Hill Academy. Learn more and make your gift today. ShepherdsHillAcademy.org slash building together. That's ShepherdsHillAcademy.org slash building together. And thanks for helping us provide healing to teens in crisis. Your children are teens now. They're growing up and gaining independence. That's kind of the point of parenting, isn't it? You're raising future responsible adults, but they're not responsible adults yet. They may be able to do things on their own, but you still want to be able to contact them and you want to equip them for success. So you decide to get them a smartphone. But why a smartphone? For most people, that means 24-7 access to everything on the planet. And that's not wise, nor is it healthy. Digital addiction is prevalent these days. In fact, we see teens of all ages dealing with mental health and behavioral issues rooted in overuse of technology. Issues that affect health, wellness, ability to focus, performance in academics, and more. That's why at Licensed to Parent, we want you to choose a wise phone alternative instead of a smartphone. More information is available at LicensedToParent.org slash wisephone. Listening to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy. You can find us online at licensedtoparent.org. Incidentally, if you'd like to hear this conversation again or any of our past conversations, you'll find all of those on our website, licensedtoparent.org, and you'll find links to Shepherds Hill Academy, which is our parent ministry. That's the uh, residential program for troubled teens that we often refer to. 
Our guest today on the program is Marvin Alasky. He's the author of a new book called Abortion at the Crossroads. And Marvin, we were talking right before the break about the, the challenges that, that parents have of abdicating their role of parenting to other distractions and other things rather than giving their own time. But let's go back to the foundation. And, and you describe in your book three pro-life paths uh, to protect the unborn. Talk about those. Some. Let's lay the foundation there so that parents can perhaps get a better reason for the reset that they may need to do in raising the kids that are already here. Well, sure. Uh, you go back uh, almost 50 years now to the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision in 1973, and pro-lifers ever since then have tried to affect that and stem the tide of abortion in, in basically three different ways. One has been the, the political, legislative, judicial approach. Namely, you try to elect people, get good uh, justices appointed, uh, reverse Roe v. Wade, uh, then let state laws uh, try to impose limits on abortion and and help more kids to survive. Those are all worthwhile things. Um, Hasn't been enormously successful because the Supreme Court uh, a couple of times uh, seemed ready to, uh, to reverse, but both times uh, took a swing and missed rather than, rather than actually hitting the ball out of the park, which is what's needed. There may be another uh, opportunity this fall. The Supreme Court will be hearing uh, an, an appeal concerning a Mississippi law uh, that would uh, stop abortions uh, uh, after 15 weeks, which would be a, a big improvement from where we are now. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I wouldn't put a whole lot of hope on that, but... Uh, we can pray about it and, and hope the Supreme Court changes with the advent of, of uh, three new justices uh, over the past five years. So that's something to pray about, but it hasn't been a successful strategy thus far, nor has the second approach, which was uh, at its peak maybe about 30 years ago with Operation Rescue, namely try to block abortion businesses, keep women from going in, uh, try to have direct action of that kind. Uh, that didn't work either. And... Uh, for a lot of reasons. I mean, number one being, you know, there were a lot of uh, brave and honest people who were involved in that, but never got any media support. In fact, the press, which very much supported the civil rights movement in the 1950s and 1960s, uh, which was involved in civil disobedience at times, just was very much against the pro-life movement. Uh, and so that failed. And in fact, it, it, uh, it, it, for a while, probably led to more abortions because public opinion was saying that, oh, pro-life people are, are people who are trying to hurt women, uh, get rid of liberty, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that approach didn't work either. The third approach is the one that's actually been very successful. Um, and it's, in a way, the, the compassionate approach of counseling, uh, creating pro-life pregnancy resource centers and crisis pregnancy centers, engaging in, in counseling with, with troubled teens who are thinking of abortion, with older people also, but one-to-one, uh, helping and, and showing people there's a way to bear the child rather than kill the child. So that's been, there are probably about 3,000 pro-life centers around the country. Uh, it's, in, it's been successful. And mm-hmm. in a way, there's a parallel to, to the project that you all are engaged in with, with troubled teens. Uh, you can't just pass a law saying, don't be troubled. You can't, you can't uh, uh, it's not very successful to lock up a teen. Uh, you'll find a way to get out. Uh, but counseling, as the Bible talks about, walking with the, the, the young person, 
uh, as you get up in the morning, as you walk on the road, as you sit with him, exactly. engage in patient counseling. It's very time intensive. Uh, it's very hard work, but it's really biblically, and we see this in our own lives, it's a thing that works. Absolutely. I think ultrasound, though, Marvin, has had something to do with uh, uh, people's uh, change of, uh, of heart. And, and millennials, if they've done anything right, they've, they've, they seem to be a, a generation that understands the, the audacity of, of, uh, of abortion. Yeah, ultrasound has been has been really helpful. You, you talk with you talk with directors of pregnancy resource centers where they most of them now uh, make ultrasound available. Um, and yeah, it, it it changes it changes lots of lots of people. But it's not a magic it's not a magic bullet or a magic fountain. Uh, I mean, we have we have an article about that showing how how useful ultrasound has been. But there are still lots of women who see an ultrasound and. And in a way, it even hardens them in some ways. Uh, uh, so it's it's not it's not a panacea. Right. Uh, and then and then the legal changes. You know, there's this expression in math and science: necessary but not sufficient. Yeah, we we need to have the Supreme Court liberate state legislatures to be able to pass laws. But that by itself and the laws by themselves aren't going to do it. Necessary but not sufficient. You need that personal touch, that counseling, that individual one-to-one involvement. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, you know, I think it was A.W. Tozer, I'm not sure, uh, said that you can have so much compassion upon man as to be in high-handed rebellion toward God. Uh, do you think too many parents today too often exercise a warped or, or a, a tragic degree of compassion with their kids? Uh, or have we simply defined godly uh, compassion with uh, the devil's dictionary? Yeah, com- com- compassion isn't, isn't giving stuff to kids. Right. Um, the, the root of the word, common uh, piety, means it's, it's suffering with. That's the literal uh, definition of, of compassion. And if you look in the um, in the Old Testament, it's uh, the Hebrew word is rachum, um, which the root of that is womb. So, in other words, the the tight physical connection that a mother has with a baby, uh, and that's and that's what what makes abortion so tragic. But you extend that. Uh, compassion means suffering with a person, coming alongside that person, spending time with that person, not just giving stuff. And I think that's our that's our crucial problem. Some days we we mistake we mistake love, uh, we confuse love with giving stuff rather than actually spending time with and suffering with, helping a person to grow up. And you know, kids kids need to kids eventually learn when the kids become adults. Kids learn that their parents have problems too, and but a parent still has to be a parent. You have to, we, we have to try to put old heads on young bodies. Yeah. Well, I think one of the most compassionate words that a kid can hear from their parent in certain circumstances is the word no. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to allow you to do this. Or the word make. I'm going to make you do this. And that's very politically incorrect for someone who's supposed to be a parenting expert to, to say today. Uh, but I can't tell you how many kids you know that come through this place saying, you know, I hate my mom, hate my dad. Why? They never tell me no. The kids will tell you this. They don't make me do anything. I mean, the kids will tell you this. And I'm trying to get, I'm saying this emphatically so parents would hear this. Maybe the opposite of love isn't hate. Maybe the opposite of love is just complacency. Just, you know, yeah. I don't care. You know, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a, I'll make a generalization here. It's a, it's a lazy parent who says yes all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let me make an analogy. I, I, I taught for, you know, 20-some years at the University of Texas, and uh, 
it was much easier to give a student a grade of A than a grade of F. Uh, a grade of A, the student's not going to complain. He's going to be very happy, in fact. Uh, F, you have to explain. Why is this a failure? Why is this a problem? Why do you have to rewrite this? Yeah. Uh, that takes a lot more time. And, you know, there's a conspiracy, basically, at a lot of colleges, in a sense. Uh, uh, you know, students don't want to have to work very hard, and professors don't want to have to work very hard. Uh, so students don't want to have to really work on their papers, and professors don't want to do tough grading of papers. So, you know, professors and students are united against parents and taxpayers. Uh, and, and it's just easier to give an A than to give an F. It's easier to give a child something and to say yes rather than to say no and say, no, I'm not going to give you this. You can't have, you can't have a smartphone with no guards on it like, every, like other kids in your class have because I love you and I don't want your life to be hurt. And that's harder to explain. It takes time, and there might be some resistance, but that, but but love love uh, um, sometimes, often sometimes means means saying no. Yeah, I've told my kids uh, so many times, I love you too much to care what you think about me right yeah. now. There's dishes to wash. Get at it. You know. But yeah. we've become a society yeah. of self, and I think we're more concerned about how someone's going to feel about us. Uh, rather than genuinely having the other person's long-term well-being in the equation. And that's a real problem. But Rich has uh, let me know that it's about time to wrap this thing up. But I did have one question I have to ask you because I thought it was a very, very good question that one of our kids asked, us, like asked me one time. He said, if kids go to heaven when they die, wouldn't aborting them be a better guarantee of heaven than risking them rejecting God and then spending all of eternity in hell? How should a parent respond to that statement when their kid asks them that? Well, you know... God could have made us automatons. He could have made us machines, robots that would always obey and always do things right. But, but God, in his wisdom, thinks actually that, uh, that freedom is a good thing, that uh, people have to, have to learn to, to act, to, to, to believe in him, uh, and, and not, just, not just do their own thing. So, you know, when you were born a child... You are really going against what God commands. You're not giving them a chance to live. You're not giving them a chance to learn. You're not giving them the opportunity to obey God. Uh, we don't know what happens to what, what happens with aborted kids. The important thing we need to learn in life is that God is smarter than us. There you go. Yeah. And God, God tells us, don't kill babies. God tells us, don't commit suicide. Uh, and God knows why. God knows what's best for us. And um, That's the know, bottom line. Yeah, that's the bottom line. Yeah. And to that, we would say, thank God, because yeah. none of us in this conversation are well beyond or equipped to be God. We do That's know right. that. Marvin Alasky has been our guest today. Marvin's editor-in-chief at World. He's also dean of the World Journalism Institute and the author of more than 20 books, including Abortion at the Crossroads, published by Bombardier Books, an imprint of Post Hill Press. And you can find that wherever you get your books. Marvin, thanks so much for being on Licensed to Parent. It's been a real pleasure. Well, thank you. God bless your efforts. Mm. Thank you. Well, that does wrap up this week's edition of Licensed to Parent. Remember, you'll find us online at licensedtoparent.org, where you can also listen to programs covering other topics vital to godly parenting. You can also read and subscribe to Trace's blog. You can learn more about Shepherd's Hill Academy, our year-long residential program for teens, and so much more. And remember that your tax-deductible donations to Licensed to Parent help support the Shepherd's Hill Scholarship Fund. 
And that's the one that makes it possible for families on limited incomes to get the residential help that they need for their teens. You can donate securely online at LicensedToParent.org. And remember, every gift of any size really, truly helps. Our program coordinator on License to Parent is Daniel Fazina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rossell. Thanks so much for joining us, and please tell your friends about the program. Then plan to be with us again next time to renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. We'll see you next time.